Psalm 13. I'm going to have you take your Bible there. That is the journal that David was writing. So he's writing out how he's feeling, and I'm going to be addressing a lot of today about how we feel when we're going through things. But I want to take you to the biblical account of what he was actually physically facing during this time as well. Uh, I, I love stories in the Bible. I love stories of victory and life change and God stepping in to do the impossible. I love this song, The Same God, because it's important for us to understand that the Bible wasn't just given to us as a storybook to say, wow, look what God did. It's a reminder to say, look what God can do. Sometimes we don't equate those together. It's not just a storybook to look back and say, wow, God has done great things. It's a matter of looking forward to say God wants to do great things. He is the same God. He is the same God. I love that part in the story when we, or the song where he talks about bringing down Goliath. And he said, and God brought down Goliath. But I, in my life, I have giants too. And you guys have giants too. We all face these trials and these, these monsters, these issues in our life that seem to be overwhelming. But we serve the same God that was with them. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is David. David was one of these guys that went from a shepherd boy to a king. This is the problem that we have with this story. Oftentimes when we talk about David becoming a king, we often tell like this, and they came and anointed David to be king, and he slayed the, uh, the giant, and David rose up to be one of the greatest kings in Israel. Do you realize that there was 15 years between him being anointed and before he actually took the kingdom? 15 years. You know what the problem is? A lot of times when we tell us Bible stories, we tell the Bible stories like this. We often tell Bible stories like, and you know, we tell our kids that, you know, there was a little boy and, and God called him to do great things. And he showed up and there was a giant out there. God gave him a rock and he went out there and he slew the rock or threw the rock and, and the giant came tumbling down. And then one day that boy grew up to be the king of Israel and he was just a shepherd boy, but God rose him up to be a king because he was a man after God's own heart. Great Bible stories to tell your kids at night. Except in the middle of all that was a dude, they questioned God. There was a guy that went through depression. There was a guy that was running for his life. We don't sit there and tell our kids, and David wanted to die. Did you know that? And David, David questioned God, and, 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 and he was running for his life because somebody hated him so bad that he wanted him to die. Now, good night, sweetie. I hope you, you know, we, we don't tell those Bible stories. Why do we skip that? Because it's all the Bible, it's all the story, it's all what led up to these things, and it's all true. So let me take you back a little bit, and some of this is just going to be story time for you, but that's okay. David was the, the, the youngest of the brothers, and God told Samuel, he said, I, I'm going to rise up a new king in Israel. Saul was the king, Saul did that which was right in his own eyes, he didn't have a heart for God, he was prideful and arrogant. So Jesse was the father of these boys, and he knew that Samuel was going to be coming to choose one of the boys to be the king of Israel, anointing him. It was such an honor and privilege. So you do what we do best. I'm going to rise up and make everything look good. So I need to take care of the sheep. So the youngest boy, that God's, there's not a chance God's going to call you. You go watch the sheep, and I'll line up the boys to be able to line up to be able to display what I have as these real men that are potential to be the leaders of Israel. He goes down the list, nope, 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 nope. And, and, and Samuel was sitting there saying, God, who is it? And he said, don't look on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outward appearance, look on their heart. Do you have any more sons? I have one, but it's probably not him. Will you go get him? They pull David out of the field. He runs up there and God says, that's the boy. Kneels down, anoints him with oil. He's going to be the next king of Israel. Time goes by, there's a great army that lines up on the side of the hill 
They have an, a warrior called Goliath. Most of you have probably never heard this story before. It's kind of a rare story in the Bible. Uh, they line up David. David, or they line up Goliath. He comes out for 40 days. One day, David shows up to deliver food for his brothers. He's standing there. Is there not a cause? Why are we just letting this dude push us around? David rises up and says, I'll go take down the giant. You guys know this story? He goes out, throws the rock. He drops down, cuts his head off, drags it before Saul. You would think, man, this is great. Saul was like, wow, this dude really has it going on. Man, this guy could do great things for me. So here's the story. Let me jump right into it. And David went, and David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. You say, why is it happening that way? Because God had a plan to get him from being a shepherd boy to being a king. It doesn't happen overnight. You say, God has great plans for me. God does have great plans for you, but it's not the snap of a finger. It's not the turning of a page. It doesn't happen overnight. God needed David to be something different. God needed him to be a warrior, a man after God's own heart, not a man after power and position. So Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. He gained this reputation. He was fulfilling the plan that he had. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines. And this not just, it wasn't just Goliath that he brought down. It was the other wars that he won. That the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet the king Saul in tabrets and joy with instruments of music. And the women answered one another and played that Saul has slain his thousands. You know, you can imagine this dude that's pompous and was like, you got that right. Hey, that's right. I've, I've killed thousands of people. Quit, keep singing it, ladies. You, you're, that, that's exactly right. I am a warrior. But then the rest of the verse says, yeah, but David has killed his ten thousands. And he's like, what? Why, why are they giving him all this credit? He's the boy that I rose up to be able to do my dirty work. And he's arrogant in this. We love stories like this. We love hearing about the victorious winning and, 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 and knocking down the enemy. But notice verse 8. And Saul was very wroth, saying, this saying displeased him. And they ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they ascribed but a thousand. You can hear his petty voice as he's complaining and whining. He says, that, and what else can he have more but the kingdom? Saul was consumed with jealousy. And it says in verse 9, and Saul eyed David from that day forward. It literally just aggravated with them. The next verse, we won't go into it. The next verse says that David was going in there to play his heart before the king. He was so enraged with anger and jealousy that he's sitting there going, oh, about him being uh, lifted up of the victories that he had. That he grabbed his spear, jumped off his throne, ran over and tried to kill David, right there on the spot. You can imagine everybody else in there playing like, oh, you know, like, I'm not saying a word. It's like, this, this is not right, you know. It's just this outward anger that he could not control. It was just so obvious he's going through this. But a lot was going on. Things escalate. Verse 29, it says, And Saul was yet more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy. Continue. You said, what did David do? Nothing. What did David do wrong? Nothing. Actually, it's more than nothing. He was doing the right thing. This isn't the story of Jonah running from God. This isn't the story of doubting Thomas or Peter running and, and going off. This isn't some guy that's running from his calling or questioning God. This is a guy that's literally taking one step at a time, just saying, God, lead me where you want me to go. But the thing about the story is nothing was going well. Nothing was good. 
And, and, and sometimes when we go through a little bit, we're like, I've got this. It's okay. That's not a big deal. I'll take it one day, one step at a time. It says that Saul became his enemy continually. Well, things get complicated. David's best friend was Saul's son. David ends up marrying Saul's daughter. You talk about some awkward family gatherings, I'll tell you. It's like, it's like walk into the house. Is Saul here? I'm just here for the cake. And then where I'm going, and does your dad have a javelin? And, you know, like, I'm walking in with armor. You know what I'm saying? It's just not a good thing. Awkward. The Bible says in verse, chapter 19, verse 1, And Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, said, Here, son, come here. You guys, come, come here for a minute. And to all the servants, I've got an idea. If you ever get a chance, I'm just saying, if David's ever around you, will you kill him? Literally. <laughs> he said, gather the servants together that they should kill David. Can you imagine all the distress and the turmoil going on in the people that were there like, He's the greatest warrior we have. He's the one that brought down the giant. Why in the world would we attack the guy that's doing this? All because of one thing, sin, anger, jealousy, revenge. He was just, there was, there was no peace in David's life. All, all, all of this did not line up in his head. David later secretly meets with Jonathan. You can imagine his emotions are escalating. It says in, in chapter 20, He's talking to Jonathan. He secretly he says, what have I done? Can you, can you feel the emotions in this? He's, maybe he's pacing back and forth and Jonathan comes in and he goes, dude, what, what have I done? What, what is my iniquity? Where did I go wrong? What is my sin before your father? He's, he's literally seeking my life. The king that is supposed to be the God, God's man to, to, to lead God's people is now wanting me dead. This is not fair. This is not right. You can imagine Jonathan saying, hey man, God's with you, man. God's got a plan for you. Don't, don't let this get you down. You know, and the thing is, it was one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. 15 years. I want you to see David's heart during this time. Now, I got to warn you, today is going to, the, the, the story goes into David's distress, but then what God did to bring David out of it. That's why I said, I need you here for two weeks. Please come back next week because today is going to be somewhat of a downer, okay? I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll, I'll pull it back at the end and show you where we're going with it. But here's the problem. Sometimes we're not real with people. It would be easier for me as a pastor to say, turn in your Bible to Psalm 13. Uh, let's start at verse 3. You know why? Because verse 1 and 2 is not fun. You know why I'm starting with verse 1 and 2? Because it's real life. Do you know why God put verse 1 and 2 in the Bible? Because we can relate to David dealing with real life. It's when we try to skip over things and we don't give the Bible in its entirety and we just try to talk about David slew to Goliath and David was the king over Israel and God loved David and David loved God that we kind of soften the Bible so much that when we get to hard times, you're like, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, it does make sense if you follow the Bible in its entirety because it's in the Bible. Things like this because things go wrong. Was David a man after God's own heart? Yes. But let me just show you what he was doing. So I'm going to show you where he was at physically. And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. David is alone. David is tired. David is frustrated. You get to a spot like that and you let your mind go crazy, I promise you there will not be good thoughts going through your head. You get into dark places like that. And I say dark places, we use that kind of as symbol, being symbolic with that. But I'm saying Dave was literally alone in a cave. Dark, damp, 
cold, scary, running, terrified. David is going through all these emotions. But I want you to see how he's feeling during this time. He said to the chief musician, the Psalm of David, How long will thou forgot me, O Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Did you notice the common phrase that said over this over and over again? He's saying, how long, God? How long am I going to do this? Because a lot of us can deal with things for a while. You know, I'm going through an issue. It's like, all right, we'll get through this. And every, every Christian tells you that. You know what I'm saying? Those holly jolly Christians, you'll get through this. When? Okay, I'll face tomorrow. It's still here. You'll get through this. And then day 25, you'll get through this. Year 25. Really? Come on, dude. I don't understand why this is keep piling up. Now, David had opposition that was after him. And I know our opposition's different. For some people, it's a chronic illness or a, a, a problem in your life that just is following you everywhere that you go. For some, it is a child. It's heavy on your heart. And you see them wayward from God. You see them getting into trouble. You see them making decisions. And they're long, longer at home. You wish they were where you could say, go to your room. Wouldn't that be great? Now they have their own car and their own job and their own place to live and you have no control. For some people, it is a spouse. You, you can't get them to want to go to church or do right and you're married to them and you're committed but things are just falling apart. For some people, it's a job because you don't make enough money so you're pushing and pushing and pushing and it seems like the harder you work, the more debt you have. The economy goes up, taxes change, gas prices go up. There is no end in sight, and all I do is work and work and work. So when we get to songs and we start singing things like, you know, God, God is real, and never once have I ever walked alone, you almost in your heart go, really? Because I feel alone right now, and all the great songs that we sing, and the person next to you that's not going through it right now is like, God is so good, I love him. And you're sitting there saying, man, I wish that was true in my life. I wish I felt that in my life. It's almost aggravating when sometimes you're going through those things and people are just like, oh, God's got a plan. It's like, here's my plan. You know, it's like, I'm just getting real. I, I, I think Christians sometimes, it's, it's like we want to, you know, float in clouds, eat lollipops, and talk about unicorns. It's like, life is not all full of that. It's not, not all fairy tale stories. Sometimes it gets frustrating and sometimes... It, Feelings are real. Do you understand that sometimes we get so churchy that we don't want to acknowledge feelings in life? You realize that God made feelings part of our life. Feelings came from God. We were created in the image of God to have love and compassion and, 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 and joy and excitement and, and happiness and all these other things. But there's also, even where, with Jesus on the earth, he had righteous anger because they were misusing the temple. And he went to Lazarus and he wept. He was in the garden. He was broken. I sit there and say, God doesn't understand me. You understand that Jesus in the flesh was God identifying and saying, I get your feelings. I created your feelings. So now here's David in the, in the, the cave, 22 verse 1. And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. But 13 shows his heart. How long will you forget me, O Lord, forever? How long shall you hide your face from me? So here, let me, let me just get real with you, okay? Because David did. And if I didn't have this in the Bible to read verse by verse, I would just be making it up of how my feelings are. But God gave us David's feelings for us to understand this is real life. David felt abandoned by God. 
said David wasn't abandoned by God. I didn't say that. I said David felt abandoned by God. See, we're, we're trying to divide up and understand that our feelings are real in life. And sometimes our feelings that go on in our mind can bring us to really dark places and drag us into dark places. Because he said, how long will you forget me? Now, I want you to know the phrasing of this. He did not say, he did not ask the question. He did not say, God, have you forgotten me? David totally felt forgotten by God. Did you get that? How long will you forget me? Literally meaning like, I'm here. I know you're not. I'm just trying to, under, I just have a question. How long are you going to leave me alone? That was the question. It's not a matter of him feeling like, God, what's going on right now? He totally felt abandoned by God. God, you forgot me. How long are you going to leave me for this? And then he even says in that passage, did you see how he says, oh God, he goes, how long will you forget me, oh God? And then he just, one word, forever? Have you ever been real with God like that? Like, is, just, is this just the way that it is? Is it never going to change? Is it never going back? Is it always going to be this frustrating? Is this just the way that it is for the rest of my life? And I say that because a lot of us, when we read that, will identify with that and say, yeah, I, 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 get, I, I get that. Because I feel like there's some issues in my life that have literally been going on forever. Forever. It doesn't stop. God, are you done with me? Do you not care about me anymore? Remember, he's alone in a cave. Have I made you mad? Times like this, you really get to the point where you can almost question your faith. Because I know never once have I ever walked alone. Never once. You are faithful, God, you are faithful. And everybody's like, oh. David in this cave was not lifting his hands going, you are faithful, you are faithful. He's crying out to God. Here, let me show you the next thing. He's just trying to be real. He said, I'm asking you guys, have you ever felt abandoned by God? Felt abandoned by God. Number two, David felt powerless. He said in that verse, how long will you forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? Now, it's cool because the Bible often compares God to physical things like uh, of the human body. He says, the, the, the hand of the Lord was upon me. Now, God doesn't walk around you as you walk through Walmart like this, okay? So it's, it's, it's a symbolic thing, meaning that the presence of God was with me, that his strength was with me. The arm of the Lord is so strong. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. The Bible talks about the presence of God, or in this, the face of God. Remember when we were going through our Revive series, we talked about, I want to see your face. Seek my face. And what that is, is the presence of God. Morgan was working on a project, project yesterday, and uh, she was hanging these plants and stuff up in her room, and she needed to, to hang this bar thing up that was in her room. And she's yelling from downstairs, is like, hey, I've got to figure out how to do this. It, she wasn't requesting to say, you got it, sweetie, you'll do great. What she wanted was me or Logan's presence to walk into the room and say, Hey, what's going on? Oh, let me grab that. Let me see. Let's put it up and put it there. She wanted the physical presence because what he, David was asking right here, he says, God, you're physically not there. I don't have your hands to help me. I don't have your eyes to see me. I don't have your presence to comfort me. I, I, don't, I don't have your face, which represents the power of God with me. He felt powerless. He even said this in verse, or chapter 10, verse 1. He says, why standest thou afar off, Lord? Why hidest thyself in the times of trouble? He said, when I need you most, you're way over there. 
maybe even questioning, God, I feel like you're helping Saul out more than me, and I'm the one anointed to be able to take his place, and I am all alone. You, you say, wow, you're, you're, you're really bringing us down. Do, do, do you see that the, David was just being real? And God wanted this to be able to be preached in church for us to be able to understand what it means to get real with God? He says this, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemies be exalted? Here's what David was doing. David was battling with his thoughts. Notice how he says that. He said, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? Counsel in my soul is David had lonely nights and long days. He, he, he had no one to counsel him. He wasn't texting his friends. There was no direct messaging. It was like, hey, dude, I feel alone. Hey, Jonathan. You know, no, David was alone. You know what you do when you're alone and you're going through a hard time? Your mind goes crazy. Your mind goes in every direction. You can be watching the news. Gas prices are going up. The economy's going back. You know, there's a chance of COVID rising again and all this other stuff. You know what it does? You go to bed and you lay in bed thinking about that. I don't know what we're going to do. I, if gas prices keep going, I can barely put gas in my car now. Now, none of that is reality. They get paid to scare you. That's, that's their job of the news. If they didn't have a headliner, they'd go out of business. So if there's not a headliner, they'll create a headline. Because they need you to tune in and be like, oh, disaster and trouble. I must watch this. I mean, that's just what they do. It's clickbait. They try to get our attention. They pull our emotions in that. But a lot of times in situations when things are bad, our mind goes through this all the time. Jenny can testify. Me and her just had a long conversation yesterday. We just sat and talked about this. Because a lot of things are going on in our minds. And we get real and talk about, man, this is how I feel. A while back, we had a family that was trying to be a blessing but it really wasn't a blessing, but they thought they were being a blessing. I don't know. It was just, it wasn't, it didn't help me at all. Uh, with us going through our cancer battle, a lot of people send us stuff all the time, like things about cancer and things about what their family went through, or stories about their kids going through it. And we get it because there's kind of a cancer world. Once you're in it, you, everybody identifies with each other. Well, we got one, and Logan was pulling it out, and there's all these pictures of their daughter and stuff like this, and she was around Logan's age. And one of the pictures that I pulled out, I was like, wow, that is so cool. It's, it's, it's her holding up this sign, and she's standing next to the bed and uh, saying, finish chemo today, going home, and talking about victory. And I'm like, I just, I'm like yeah, this, that's what I'm talking about. Cancer, look out, you know. We're, we're, we're taking cancer. That's my giant. He's going down. And then I was like, well, what else is in the box of the packet about this girl? Whatever. It's like, it was a bracelet to wear that had her, you know, her, her birth date and then her death date. It's a death date? What, what do you mean death date? She died like 18 months after that picture was taken. And she, they, they just did the package, just say, we're trying to keep her memory alive. But for somebody going through cancer, I'm like, I don't, I, I, I don't want to walk around talking about a kid dying. It just, it does, it, you might not understand what I'm talking about. It just wasn't what I needed to hear. And I know some of you are like saying, you're just being ungrateful. I'm being real. I'm just being real. I, I, I need to hear stories of victory. I need to hear. But, but, but let me tell you, that stuck in my mind. And I'm thinking 18 months, 18 months. That's all it was, was 18 months. I, and I told Jenny, I said, I almost get afraid. I'm just being real. I almost get afraid of celebrating victories because it's a false high. I, I don't want to get all worked up and like, woohoo, yeah. It's just like, well, yeah, we, we all know how this story goes. And it brought me down just because I know in all of our lives, we battle with our thoughts. And Jenny says, is that our story? 
Well, no. Then why are you letting your mind go somewhere that, that's, that God's not brought us? We're not there. That's rarely. I mean, a lot of times we allow somebody else's story of their financial problems or their social security issues or their, their marital thing or their thing with their kids or that drug addiction or whatever. Our minds go there and Satan loves to pull us to those dark places of those caves that, that we just sit there and we just get consumed with negative thoughts that might not even be true. We battle with our minds. David was literally saying, I take counsel in my soul. I'm thinking about this all the time. He said this. He said, having sorrow in my heart daily. Because here's what happens. Those thoughts that you have in your mind end up being like the worst case scenario. Like, I'm going to be homeless and I'm going to have nowhere to live. And my kids will never accept me in because they're, you know, you just, your mind's too crazy. Like, you, you have one little bump. I know it's cancer and I'm going to die of cancer. And there's a, our minds go crazy. You can have one little hiccup in your marriage and it's like, that's exactly what happened to the neighbors and they're divorced now and they both are poor and miserable. It's not your story. But our minds naturally go to the darkest places. And I promise you this, Satan loves to do it. He loves to do this. I'll tell you, it worked for David. Notice verse 3, okay? He says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's literally saying, God, this is going to kill me. Now, I'm going to ask you guys a question. Did that situation kill David? No. But David couldn't do like we do in church. Like, oh, man, I'm so sorry, David. Flip the page. Oh, he's going to be all right. You know, <laughs> David couldn't do that. So we're all like, I don't know why David was just a big spiritual baby. He was fine. Well, he didn't know he was going to be fine. Same way, like you're in your situation like right now. You're thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be fine. I don't know. Emotions and feelings are real. David was battling these things in his mind. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David was sick of losing. How long is my enemy, day after day after day, the one that is not for God, the one that is against God, the one that's against me, and the one that is tearing apart my family and everything that I have, how long is he going to keep winning because I thought I'm on the winning side? I thought we were victorious. Saul goes to bed with servants and people fanning him, people escorting him everywhere. I'm the one following after God and doing the right thing and I'm sleeping in a cave afraid for my life. Have you ever thought life just isn't fair? It just, it's just like, man, alive. I, I, I raised my kids in church, and they're running from God. And, and yet they, their kids are soaring through college and doing great. And I, it just isn't fair. Our, our cancer journey started last year on June 28th. And uh, is the low. This is, this is our journey right here. Carol can tell you. Greg can tell you. It's like that for them and us, it's, it's just ups and downs, Okay. So here we are in the down, finding out, starting chemo, not knowing what the biopsy was going to be, them not having answers for us and all this other stuff. So we get home. We had the prayer service in the church. We had the prayer service outside. Man, I can't tell you guys how much that did for us. I cannot put into words what it means to have people praying and standing with you. It just changes your perspective completely. 
We had people make us shirts, faith over fear. We've got this. Waymaker, man, I'm strutting that shirt around like Satan lookout. You know, I'm more on that hot. We're going to knock down cancer. We're going to knock it out of the way. Look out. I, I, I've got a rock, you know, and I, I'm the next David. I'm going to knock down this giant Satan. You better look out, buddy. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm on the winning side. So you know what you do on the winning side? You win. That's what you do on the winning side. Chemo round two, six weeks after diagnosis, five weeks after diagnosis. We take one week in the hospital, or at first it was like two weeks in the hospital, and then we had time for his body to recuperate. We go back in the hospital, chemo day one, doing awesome. Chemo day two, wake up in the morning, me and Logan are watching Dude Perfect on TV, and, and we're, we're having a great time. We're ordering breakfast. I'm, I'm taking a Starbucks order. Dude, we're going to, we're just doing, we're, we've got this thing. And Logan's sitting there in the, in the bed, and he just says, man, my chest feels funny. He said, what do you mean your chest feels funny? He goes, Dad, I can feel my heart racing. I said, what do you mean, feel your heart? He said, Dad, feel it. I, I felt it was like, I mean, like going crazy. I'm like, oh, well, that ain't, oh, you're fine. I'm like, well, we'll ask the nurse. It's like, hey, he's got a question. His heart feels like it's racing. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to play it all cool. She goes, oh, no problem. She goes on and goes, oh, you know, she's like, she walks out and comes back in with like five people. And I'm like, uh, it's okay. It's just racing a little bit. And they're like, Logan, how you feeling? You know how they played all cool. You know, how are you feeling, buddy? Okay. It's like, bring it, you know, and they're testing this and they bring in an EKG machine and then, then they're testing and then they're trying to bring his heart rate back because it is spiking 200 and something. And it's just like and at an idle rest. So within seconds, here's the picture I took while we were sitting there. This is, this says to do justice, but we had 12 people in the room at one time, machines, all these things happening just simultaneously. And I'm thinking, that's all right. It's just, hey, it's just, it's just a thing, you know. We've already got cancer that we're battling with. Not, not, we don't have heart issues on top of this. It's, it's not a big deal. So here they are. They're putting ice packs on his head, and, and they, they come in, and they brought in a crash cart. And I knew what it was. And they, they strap him to this crash cart. And I'm like, whoa, oh, hey, hey, what in the world? He's not that bad. It's not that bad. They started calling in emergency people from the cardiac floor. And they walked over to the side of us. And they asked me and Jenny says, hey, does he have a DNR? And I'm like, uh, we don't need to be talking. That's not part of this. this is, that's stupid. I, no, he doesn't have a DNR. He's 18. He's 18. They end up emergency transferring him to the cardiac ICU. They bring him in there. It's, it's the open floor. Uh, things are everywhere. They, 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 they bring in the specialist. They're talking about they can't sedate him, but they need to shock his heart. They're worried about this. They, they end up semi-sedating him. And the whole time that this is happening, Logan had something on his heart so bad that he kept talking about it. And I said, Bud, we'll deal with this. He just wanted to know, Dad, do they have chicken nuggets in the cafeteria today? And I'm like... Logan, I'll, you have to watch the video, literally. It's like, he, that's all he was talking about. I'm like, yeah, they're sedating you to shock your heart. Uh, what kind of sauce do you want? You know, I'm just trying to take care of everything at once. And so they said, would you guys like to leave the room? And I'm like, um, no, we're fine. I mean, what are you going to do? They said, just turn the thing on and whatever. And they turned the thing on. They said, clear. And Logan comes out of the bed, literally arch, screams bloody murder and moans as he comes back. And I tell you, I, I have never, ever, ever 
ever in my life felt so defeated and terrified like I was in that minute. Then they pull it out and they say, shook their head, it didn't work. And they said, we're going to do it again. And then they, they start shuffling around and they went out of the room and brought in a chaplain to go sit with us. I'll tell you what, the last thing I wanted to do was sit with a chaplain. I am a pastor. I know why they do stuff like that. It was not a good day. They end up shocking him again. It's terrible. Me and Jenny are a mess. I am, I am feeling as low as I could get. I'm thinking, what next? They end up admitting him into the ICU down there. They end up putting him on all these drips. We're going through the night. While we're in the middle of the night, his blood pressure drops to like, I, I can't remember what it was. It was like 75 over 35. I actually took a picture of it. I was like, I, I know I'm not a doctor, but I know that's not good. During the middle of the night, I'm sleeping right next to me and Jenny are right there with him through the whole thing. And it, it dropped to like 60 over 30 during this time. Logan wakes up at some point because he was still semi-sedated and wakes up and he's disoriented and and, and, and he has questions and didn't know where he was or what happened to him. I'm trying to get him calmed down. And then in the middle of it, he just gets the giggles and starts laughing in the bed. And I'm like, what? I don't know the laugh or cry. So awkward. So hard. We were three days in ICU. They had to take him off chemo. It was hard. I, I, I'm, I'm saying this because when you're watching your son go through this and this is almost around the same time we were supposed to be having a graduation party, and we had tickets in our pocket to fly him to Pensacola to start college. It was hard. And the whole time I'm thinking, I thought I was on the winning side. And I thought as we prayed that we were pushing back the darkness and we were pushing this, but then they just like come in and it's like, hey, guess what? He's now in AFib. We think the cancer's on his heart. He's going to be on heart medicine. He's now on blood thinners and he's got to wear a heart monitor. And I was like, stop. When is enough enough? When is it that we actually get to rise up and, and, and win with this? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. David is... David's in the, the, the cave, miserable, scared to death as he's going through this. And David's just getting real with God because he said, I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of losing. <clears throat> I'm going to close this, but I'm going to give you five minutes of where I'm going next week. Because all I'm doing is going in order of the passage. <clears throat> but I want to show you that there's more to this. God doesn't leave him there, and there's so much that I want to do, and I promise you, you're going to think I'm crazy by the end of the message next week. I have an idea, and I'm scared to do it, but I just feel like I need to do it, so come and watch me make a fool out of myself, okay? But I just have something on my heart that really I've had on my heart for a long time, and I need to share it with you guys, so I'm, I'm going to do it next week, so let me just set this up. David says, consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David was saying here, this is what he did. He's pulling out of it. Remember, life is like this. I'm sick of the enemy winning, all this other stuff. David does this. Number one, he begins to run to Jesus or run to God with your emotions. I didn't say just with your problem because I think that's what we do. Fix this. But David was running to God with saying, hear me. Hear me what? Verse 1, verse 2. I feel like I'm dying. I feel like you're not with me. I feel like I'm powerless. I feel like my enemy's winning. I'm tired of this. 
Jesus understands your emotion. God made your emotion. God knows how you feel. He knows how you feel more than you know how you feel. God knows what's on your heart. He knows the fear that you're going with. Jesus was betrayed. He was hurt. He was neglected. He are all these things just like we are. He gets you. He gets you. Can I tell you, he not only gets you, but he's for you. You say, well, I don't feel that way. Can I tell you, sometimes the facts of our lives doesn't match up with the emotions of our life because Satan gets into our head and he is a liar. We get to dark places because we allow outside circumstances or our emotions in our mind to run places because our mind will be lied to by Satan saying, God does not care, God's not with you, and God does not love you. We battle with this. His goal, Satan's goal is to get in your head enough to make you give up. His goal is to get in your head to make you throw your hands up and stop praying. Number two, ask God to help you to see the truth. Now I'll explain all this next week. Consider and hear me, O God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Our feelings are often wrong. Our feelings would mislead you. Let me illustrate it like this. You say, but I feel this way and it's so real and I feel like I'm losing and I feel like God's not with me. Our feelings can deceive us. I got a phone call last year and a lot of people in the office will know exactly what I'm talking about. They called and say, so-and-so died. So-and-so died. I was like, so, I said, What? I thought they were doing great. I didn't know there was anything wrong with them. I was so crushed. I'm not even going to tell you who this person is that died. I was walking around the office. I I took out my phone. I'm standing there in the hallway and I'm thinking, I've got to call this family and talk to this mom that just lost her son. I was so crushed. I was so irritated. I'm walking my office. I prayed and come back out. And they said, did you call her? I said, I don't know what to say. I don't even know what to say. So I called her up. I said, hey, how you doing? I said, I just want you to know that we're here. She goes, doing great. It's good to hear your voice. I'm like, what? Wow, she's taking it really well. They called and told us the wrong person. They weren't dead. I mean, the one person was dead, but the person I thought wasn't dead. I was falling apart and emotionally distraught over something that wasn't the truth wasn't the truth it wasn't real but with the facts that came to my mind made it feel real but I didn't know the full story I wasn't there yet and my mind went to a lot of dark places in the reality that just wasn't the truth I have an escort now that drives me everywhere that I want to go I don't get jealous okay just get a kid with a permit and you'll get it too so Morgan, I needed to go to Menards and said, sweetie, I need you to drive me, take me for coffee and then drop by there. And so she's, she's a great driver. So we're driving around and uh, we're, we're on our way back from Menards and we're passing Mount Carmel East Hospital. And I look over and I was like, hey, Chuck Sandfield's there. Morgan, we should stop in and see Chuck. So she's getting over the lanes and we get in, not thinking for two seconds to call my wife and say, we're going to be delayed do what a good pastor would do. I walked in and put my phone on silent. You know why I did that? I want to give respect to the people that are in there. Put that phone away. I'm not even paying attention to it. I didn't realize that Jenny was expecting us home, so she just looks on Life360 to see where we're at. Mount Carmel East Hospital. And Morgan's been driving. Not that she's a bad driver. She's a new driver. So she texted me 
and I didn't hear it. Texted me again, I didn't hear it. She called me, I didn't hear it. Time goes by and in her mind, what happened to them? They were in a car accident, all the motions come there. And then I finally answer the phone, I was like, oh, Jenny called. Hey babe, how are you? She goes, why are you at the hospital? What happened? I, don't know. I was like, we're just hanging out, having a great time. We're all laughing in the room or whatever. And See, see the, the truth is the reality that she thought wasn't actually the reality that was happening, but what she thought in her mind, the emotions pulled her to a dark place. It happens in all of our lives. Every single one of us faces things in our life where our mind goes to dark places. And David said, lighten my eyes. Help me to see the truth because my mind is playing games with me as we go through this. David was taught to wait because God's not finished yet. Now get this, get this in, the, 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 in this cave, okay? He's alone, he's scared, he's running for his life, dirty clothes, I mean, just trying to survive. He, he, he's a wreck, he's, he looks like a disaster. He just falls in that cave and he's thinking, it's over, it's over. And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And that's where I left it. And that's where a lot of us leave it. Because that's all I know. It's all I know. Next word, and when his brethren and his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. So here's David. I'm alone. God's forsaken me. I have nobody to stand with me, nobody to fight with me. I'm going to die. He said that in verse 3. I'm going to die in here. If not, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm not going to ever be what God said that I'm going to be. God turned his back on me. And here's the truth. Here's his dad. Clothes, food, resources, his father's house, his resources. Paul, come on, guys. My son's down here. We're going to take care of him. Help was on the way, but David didn't know it. In a lot of our circumstances, I'm telling you, help is on the way. And you don't even know it. So then why is David going through all that? Because God needed a warrior, not a wuss. God didn't need some sort of guy that couldn't handle what's coming on. God needed a guy that could rise up and be able to fight for what is right. God's looking for people that he can use in our lives to do great, mighty things. And sometimes you have to go through the boot camp of life. Sometimes you have to go through the trenches. Sometimes you have to face things that are uncomfortable. And sometimes your son has to be shocked and brought down the eyes to you so we can get later to see, man, God is working and God is good. But sometimes you have to go through things. But that doesn't mean that you've been betrayed by God. It just means that God is working behind the scenes in ways you cannot see. God is not finished yet. Help was on the way. But watch this. God was preparing him for a purpose. And it says, and everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, unto David. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. David didn't know this. I'm done. I'll never do this. I, I, I mean, God just threw with me. Here's one guy after another. Hey, David, how are you, man? Hey, do you, you care if I come in here with you? Man, I've been betrayed. I have nowhere to go. It's like, you wouldn't understand, David. And David, one by one, was like, man, I do get it. Hey, who is you? I, I understand. God surrounded him with 400 men, his house, his family, food, all these other things. You say, David didn't know that. No, 
See, all those things was God now bringing him back up to the purpose that God had for him. He was creating an army to be able to do what God called him to do, but he just didn't know it yet.